Yeah, so as, as Glenn said that we are in uh, our second week of our Advent series called Revelation for Christmas. And uh, Revelation is not exactly what you think of when you think of Christmas. At least it wasn't when I was growing up. Um, but as, as, I've, as I've read and I've dove, I, I dove into to Revelation uh, with, with other friends and when I was going to Bible college, um, I was surprised at how hopeful the book is, actually. Um, it's one of those things that on a, on a surface level, I, I was raised probably to fear Revelation. Like, every, like look, look at all the scary stuff that's happening there. You got to be really, really afraid. Um, but ultimately, as I read the book, it's like, like, oh, but you see how it says, like, that happens, but... God is in control, or that happens only because the person actually knows that they are losing and that their time is short, and well, ultimately Jesus is bringing healing to the world, and you know things like that. And so, at the end of it, there's always this notion uh, of hope. And so, last week we talked about hope with with my mom, um, who shared last week, and then this week we're going to talk about peace, which is the second theme from Advent. And so, what we're trying to do with the with the series is we're actually we're reading Revelation for Christmas, but we're trying to read it through the lens of Advent. And Advent, um, if you haven't heard that term before, it's part of the Christian calendar. That it's the season leading up to Christmas. It's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. You know, um, and so the first Sunday is hope, second Sunday is peace, the third Sunday is love, and the fourth Sunday is joy. And so each week we're just taking a moment to, to look at Revelation through the lens of, the first one was the lens of hope. Tonight, today we're going to look at it through the lens of peace. And then so on and so on down down the line. And so, before I jump in, um, I, there, there's there's this painting or this drawing actually that that as I was reflecting on this message, it's just something that has stood out to me for the last couple of years as I've seen it. And and when I read the open the passage that I'm going to jump, like I'm going to read from, it, it 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 really was like it's the thing that came to mind. So if you if you wouldn't mind putting up the the first picture. Right, so every time I read Revelation, no, I'm just joking, but the next picture is actually the one I want us to reflect on. Um, and it's this, this, this beautiful drawing by um, Sister Grace Remington. Um, she's from an abbey in, in Iowa, and, and she drew this picture of Mary comforting Eve. And so I guess I want to ask the question, and, and maybe we can just take a moment and reflect on it together. Um, or, yes. If, um, as you see the picture, uh, are there any, like, what are, what are the things that come to mind for you? Like, maybe just kind of like one or two word answers as, as you look at that. What are some of the things that come to mind? Love. Hmm? Love. Love? Okay. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Second chance. Redemption. Redemption. Victory. Victory, yeah. Yeah, I think like I, th I just think like like relationship is one of the, one of the things that come in like just the the, the beautiful moment between two people. Um, anybody else? Any other thoughts? Victory. Victory. Okay. Completion. Completion. That's good. Confusion. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? And it's interesting how so much can be packed into a simple picture, right? It's a picture of two people standing in what we, uh, I, I take to be a garden with some sort of glowing background. Um, but all the, just the different things that are in this image 
that speak out to us, that, that, that invite us to imagine something new, right? And, and that's the beautiful thing about images and imagery is it has the potential to conjure up many things in our imagination, right? The, the image itself is just a catalyst for us to begin to think about new things, for, to think about other things, right? And that's basically Revelation is a book full of imagery. It's full of all these, these wild images that are, actually help us to imagine something new. And, and, and I, would, I, would, I would say that that thing that's helping us to imagine isn't something fearful, actually. It's actually something hopeful, something, peace, something about bringing peace to the world, something about bringing love to the world, and something about bringing joy to the world at the end of the day. And so with that, um, I'm going to read the first of our three passages from Revelation. Um, and I want us to sit in the imagery that's used because, as I said, imagery is the backdrop for, the, for what we're going to talk about today. And so if you can throw up the, the, next, the next slide there. Um, we'll just read this together, so, or I'll read this out loud. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them into the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it, could, it might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Well, I'd say there's some crazy sounding stuff in that passage. <laughs> but for me, it, it's a really interesting passage of scripture, right? Because there's a lot actually happening there. Um, a few background pieces of information uh, that'll help us make sense of the passage. So the Gospel of John and Revelation are, are by, by tradition, written by the same author. And so the Gospel of John, there's no nativity scene, right? There's no, there's no birth of Jesus in the Gospel of John. It, rather, the Gospel of John starts with a declaration of who Jesus is. Jesus is the Word of God, right? Like, that's how the Gospel of John starts. And so some scholars ha have posited that this scene here in Revelation is actually John's version of a nativity scene. And that the woman is an allusion to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And in good John fashion, the birth of Jesus can't be a normal birth of Jesus. It has to be cosmological, right? It has to be universal. It has to be big. And another thing that the author is doing in this passage is making, a woman, um, um, making this woman an allusion to another woman in the Bible as well, Eve, the mother of all people. Which is, again, why when I read that passage, I can't help but picture that, that picture. It always pops into my memory. Um, and so it is with these two women in mind that we continue to read, right? So in one sense, we see the cosmological birth of Jesus, the one who would break the curse. And on the other sense, we have Eve hanging out in the background of this, of this passage in conflict with the dragon, waiting for restoration, waiting for redemption. And then after being introduced to the women, uh, we are introduced to the dragon in this passage, who the author goes on to tell us in verse 9 that this dragon is the serpent, it's the devil, it's the Satan, it's Satan, the one who led the whole world astray. And again, the moment you end up with the word serpent there, 
our minds are drawn to another story that happens in the Bible, right? And so the dragon is introduced as the ancient serpent that tells us to look back again to that other story. And immediately, the original audience of this text would be thinking of Genesis chapter 3, where the biblical story, we are first introduced to the serpent. And so, and then at last, we are introduced to the son, right, in the story, who was taken up to God. And we actually don't hear a whole lot about the son in this passage, right? But this son is later identified in the book of Revelation as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so a side note, it's interesting to me the contrast between the lamb and the dragon here, because the dragon leads the whole world astray while the lamb takes away the sins of the world and, and creates a way back to God. And so it is through the lamb that victory over the dragon is found, but we'll come back to that later. And so for now, I want to look at the story behind the story, Genesis chapter 3. And so in, it's in Genesis chapter 3, as I said, that we're first introduced to the character called the serpent in the Bible. And it's the introduction of the serpent is said, he's, it's said to be craftier than any other creature created by God. And immediately after the serpent's introduction, the serpent sets out to deceive humanity and corrupt God's good creation. And so in one conversation, the serpent leads all of humanity astray. He convinces Eve, the mother of all people, to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Eve, in turn, gives it to Adam. Gives it to Adam. Um, and now humanity has been led astray. And the story continues with Adam and Eve trying to cover themselves and hide from God. And eventually the facts of what has transpired with the serpent are brought to light. And God declares three curses as a result of being led astray from the, by the serpent, right? And so first, the God says to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And in second, God says to Eve, I will make your pains in childbearing severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And third, God says to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. But by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since it is from where you were taken. From dust you are, and to dust you will return. Just another, another side note here is that both the serpent and Eve's curses have to do with them and their offspring just in the midst of that. So it's setting up this idea of conflict between the offspring of, of the woman, Eve, and the offspring of the serpent. Um, but it's also, in Adam's curse, it has to do with creation itself, right? At the, the ground itself becomes cursed. Creation becomes cursed. Adam's hardship comes in the fact that creation is now cursed because of him. And the whole scene ends with Adam and Eve being removed from the garden to stop them having access to the tree of life. Um, and just a note on the tree, the, the, just a side note on the tree of life. Um, it's, it's imagery that we will find and we'll pick back up at the end of Revelation. Um, but it, again, it was the reason why they were moved from the garden was the idea that now that they, they've, they've acquired the knowledge of good and evil, um, they were bo there's boundaries that need to be set now, in a sense. 
And so in this way, the whole world has been led astray and the intended purposes of, uh, from the intended purposes of creation. And the whole world is now out of sync with its creator. The whole world suffers from the consequences of the serpent's deception. The world is no longer the way that it's supposed to be. And at this point of the story, there is separation between God and humanity. Choices have been made, and the result of these choices is separation. In this way, the separation is a, is, is a loss of peace, right? Humanity is separated from God. Humanity is separated from creation, the garden, and peace is lost. The garden in the story represents peace. It represents the way things should be, or in the Jewish word, shalom, wholeness, completion. Um, but that is what Advent is about, right? Because it, it, it's about waiting for the coming of Jesus and the hope, the peace, love, and joy that come with it. And so although when we read in this story there's a loss of peace, as we sit here today and we read these stories through the lens of Advent, we know that peace is coming, right, in the light of Jesus. We know that peace is, is on its way. And so in the garden, peace was lost, but with the birth of the Son, it is being restored. And so I'm just going to read the next text from um, our Advent readings. If you can throw that up. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and their God. He will wipe every tear away from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Um, and for me, like, this, is, this represents a, a massive jump in, this, in the text. We go from chapter 12 to chapter 21 all of a sudden. Um, and so the question becomes, how do we get to this place in the story? Right? How do we find ourselves near the end and things have gone from there be dragons to all of a sudden old things have passed away and I'm making everything new. Right? We see shalom and peace in the garden disrupted by the serpent and now we find ourselves on the, on the, pre on the precipice of peace returning but now the serpent is gone. And so the long story really, really short because we don't have time to go over those uh, nine chapters. I can if you really want to, but <laughs> uh, so long story really short is that it's the son, the lamb, who brings about victory over the dragon, over the death, and over death by his own blood. So instead of conquering and shedding the blood of his enemies, we see this, the picture of the lamb that's, that's portrayed in Revelation is the lamb actually rides into battle covered in its own blood already. And so it's not by the shedding of blood of, of, of your enemy, it's actually by the self-sacrifice of God that victory is brought. And, that, so this, and so this is the idea of Jesus' death and resurrection being played out for us in cosmological imagery, big, grand imagery. And so for all the imagery that comes forth in the book of Revelation, it's ultimately explaining through metaphor and imagery, the cog, I would say what I call the cosmic confrontation of the cross, right? And so like when we read it through the eyes of Luke or we read it through the eyes of Matthew or Mark, right? It's very, it's very intimate. Like we are very dialed into what is happening in that moment. But when we read it through the, through the eyes of John, um, we're gonna call him the revelator because it sounds like a superhero. But when we read it through John's eyes, we see it on a cosmic scale. It's no longer like that one death isn't about being intimate in that moment. It's about look at all the things that are changing in all of creation, in all of the cosmos.
And so it's in Christ that we have victory. It's in Christ that we have the restoration of peace or the restoration of all things, as Paul would call it. And so I'm going to read the third passage from our, our Advent series. Um, and that's Revelation uh, 22, 1 through 3. Uh, then an angel showed me the river of water as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Uh, sorry, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down to the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. First, I'll just say, like, like if you guys were here last week, um, I, just want, I love the imagery that my mom showed us last week when she spoke. She had a picture, the pictures of the, the tree in the different stages of its life cycle, going from death to, to, to life, to bearing fruit. Um, and, 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 and when I saw that, like, out of everything else in the message, um, it spoke to me about the idea, because it reminded me of resurrection. It reminded me of the hope of resurrection, that, that even though when we see death, we see life come, we see fruit come, it's this cycle leading us towards resurrection. And that was the reminder of it. And, and so the inspiration for the use of that tree image and the metaphor, it comes from Revelation 22, what we just read, where we have the reemergence of the tree of life, right? The tree that Adam and Eve were denied access to after being deceived by the serpent. Um, and so with an exception of, of a handful of Proverbs that liken things to the tree of life, Revelation is the only other use in the Bible besides Genesis of, those, of, of the tree of life. And so we have the Bible, the story where they're denied access to the tree of life, and all of a sudden God is dwelling with us, and the tree of life is present, and its leaves are for the healing and restoration of the nations, the, the very things that, that were, were separated and torn apart. It's for healing and reconciliation. And so the author is intentionally trying to bring us back to that moment in the garden when humanity is cast out. But now because of the son of the woman, Mary, the tree of life is once again accessible. And so why is the tree of life suddenly back on the scene? Um, it's not a question that it actually answers, but I feel like the next line is the key for that because, because the tree of life is back on the scene because no longer will there be any curse. And so, which is the last line there. And so remember in the garden, Adam and Eve are deceived by the serpent. They eat from the tree of knowledge um, and are made aware of the curses that are now afflicted upon them and, and, and upon creation itself. And the dragon is gone and with him go the curses. Creation is now once again in a season of flourishing, a season of life, a season of fruit. And so if, can we put the image of Mary and, uh, the, and uh, Eve back up? And so I want us to return to this, this image that we reflected on being because like the words from the, from the curse to, to, to Mary, or I mean to the serpent, it says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And like what we, the story that we just read is that story played out as I said, in co the cosmic imagery of John the Revelator. And, but we don't end with enmity, right? We end with peace. That's the end of this story, right? We don't end with the woman and the dragon and their offspring still at war. We end with the peace and shalom of the garden returning. And so I love this drawing, as I said, because I think it says so much about our own need to be justified, and the re but it, but not just our need to be justified about the restoration that has already taken place through Jesus. So when I see this picture and I see Mary 
reaching out and lifting up Eve's head and Eve placing her hand on Mary's belly. It's that anticipation of the peace that's coming, the restoration that is coming in that picture. And, and I feel like in my own life, there's just been these, these tons of moments where you, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Sorry, the word just jumped out of my head, sorry. Um, there's been these moments in my life where you're sitting in that anticipation of restoration, right? Like something has gone awry, something has gone off, something has gone astray, and you are, you're waiting to be led back. You're waiting to be reconciled, right? And so with Eve holding the fruit in her hand and the serpent spiled around her leg, we see Mary, the mother of Jesus, stepping on the serpent's head. And when I read the opening verses of Revelation 12, I, as I said, I cannot help but see this image in my head every single time I read it. And I want to offer a few closing thoughts just before we, we, we create a uh, space to just process what we've read together today. Um, for all the chaos in the world, we know that that is not how the story ends. I look around today and I see that this world is not the way that it should be. Um, just a couple weeks ago, we had the, uh, my mind's went blank on the word, I think it was the fifth anniversary of the shooting death of, of Tamir Rice, a uh, 12-year-old boy in Cleveland who was killed by the, the, by the police. Um, and we live in a world where 12-year-old boys get killed by the police for playing with toy guns. Um, and, it's, and, and, and it was just a reminder that the world is not the way that it should be. But, I, but I'm able to, to have hope and I'm able to, to anticipate peace because I know that's not how the story ends. The dragon is still out, it seems, and, and, and it seems to be waging war on the offspring, but I know that's not how the story ends. Like we still experience death and mourning and pain, but there's something in me that knows that's not how the story ends. And God is busy bringing about peace through the restoration of all things. Old things have passed away, and because God is making all things new. And here's the catch. This is where it goes from metaphors and cosmic imagery to what we can actually do about it, right? We get to, we get to participate in what God is doing. We get to be the, people, the kind of people who bring peace to this world. We can choose to continue to participate in enmity, strife, and chaos that is fading away, or we can choose to hasten its retreat by participating with God and bringing peace to this world. And so with that, I want to just end with, with a question, um, the last slide, and then we, we can just process this together. It says, the question is this, um, I think we've all seen the disruption of peace in our own lives and in the lives of, of others around us. What is something you could do this week to participate with God in the bringing peace to the world? Um, and, and, and if that sounds like it's too big of a proposition, like bringing peace to the world, um, frame it the way that Mother Teresa framed it when she was asked, how do you change the world? And she responded, start with the person in front of you. So if, if saving the world or bringing peace to the world is too big, how do you bring peace to the person in front of you? This becomes the question. So I'd just love to extend that question to everybody and if just allow ourselves to have a moment to even think about it. And if you have any responses, that'd be awesome to share them with each other.